Well, one of the reasons I wanted to do this series, we're calling it Practice, is because oftentimes in the summer, we, we oftentimes in the church, we call it the summer slump. So it's where these people, you know, the kids are out of school, you kind of you downtrot a little bit, people are going on vacation, we kind of relax, and so we didn't want to do like some super cool series, we want to just do something ultimately that's going to help you practically. And I think a lot of times, the reason that the Christian life is boring for many people is because we're not practicing it. The reason that it's not exciting, the reason that it's not adventurous, the reason that we constantly feel tired is because simply we're not doing it right. We're not practicing the essentials of the Christian faith. And so that's what I want to talk about in this series. What does it look like to be a practicing Christian? Because ever since I started my relationship with Jesus, it has been the most adventurous journey that I've ever gone on. I never thought that last week I would be in a Jeep riding up these horrendous roads and in the middle of Kenya, but my relationship with Jesus took me to that adventurous place. And, and the truth is, serving Jesus is the most adventurous thing in the world. And if you find yourself today a Christian who you claim to be a follower of Christ and you say, my relationship with God is just boring, it feels like it's dead, it's oftentimes because you're not practicing the essentials. So I want to cover three simple things in this series, um, and we're, it's going to be this. One, to practice the Christian faith, you have to learn to be with Jesus on a regular basis. On a consistent basis, you have to learn to be with Jesus. Once you've got that down, you have to learn to become like Jesus. And then once you've got that down, you have to do what Jesus did. Okay, so but before we can talk about any of those three things, we've got to talk about a simple choice that all of us have to make today, and that's what I want to talk about today. Because oftentimes, here's, here's, here's the reality of it. It's going to require you making a choice to get out of the season that you're in right now. Oftentimes in America, we just sit back and we pray and we ask God, God, I'm in this dark season, I'm in this grim area of my life, just get me out. And we sit back and we wait for God to act when God's saying, no, I'm actually waiting on you to make a choice. Do you want to sit in death or do you want to choose life? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I want to read just a small verse in 2 Timothy um, chapter 1. It's a very obscure verse. It's usually not something that anybody would particularly preach on, but I'm going to do it anyway. So, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and it says, May the Lord bless Oniphorus. Probably didn't know I knew how to pronounce that. I didn't. I looked it up on YouTube today. Um, May the Lord bless Oniphorus and his family, because he visited me and encouraged me often. This is Paul talking. He says, he, re- he, visit, he visits and revived me like a breath of fresh air. Now, what is Paul saying? He said, man, I'm in this slump. I've been in jail, I've been in prison, I have gotten the worst end of life, but there is this brother who just constantly visits me, and he breathes life back into me. He's like a breath of fresh air. Anybody have that friend when you're around them? It's just like, man, they're so full of life, and for a moment you can feel that, man, I feel like life is good again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just have that one friend, they're so full of life, they just breathe that fresh air back into you. In the Greek, what Paul is saying, this friend helped me recover my life, helped me recover my breath. But here's the thing, I have become convinced that most people in this society are not breathing fresh air. That most people in this society have just settled to the fact that life is just going, can I say it, suck. It's just going to be, 
the, the most overheard phrase that I hear in Christianity is this. It's just another season. <laughs> it's just another dark, no it's not. You need to make a choice to get out of it. Oftentimes it's simply a choice to get out of the season that you're in right now. The truth is people need more encouragement than they have ever needed before. They often, oftentimes they find themselves in situations that they have no idea how to get themselves out of. And a lot of us just need that friend that comes along that says, okay, let me breathe life back into you today. So ultimately, that's what I want to do today. Hopefully, I can be that friend. I can be that pastor that comes into your life on a Sunday morning at church and says, I know your life is dark right now. I know it seems grim, but I want to breathe some life back into your relationship with Jesus. Because if you practice this thing, if you do this thing right, it can be the greatest thing that you've ever experienced on earth. But many of you find yourself today in what we would call the doldrums. I don't know if you know what the doldrums are, but it's actually a place in the intertropical conversion zone. So it's this. It's a narrow strip around the oceans of the equator, and you get this kind of anomaly that happens. So on the northern hemisphere, the waters spin one way, and on the southern hemisphere, the waters spin a different way. So what this means, in the doldrums, there's no wind. Nothing blows. So back in the day, before there were motors, if your ship got in there, you were going to die. Because this is, we're talking about um, like miles. I think it's something like 500 miles. You're not hand paddling out of there, okay? If you get stuck in the doldrums, you're going to die. And I find that the doldrums oftentimes is a picture of people's life today. You find yourself stuck in a situation and you look at your relationship with Jesus and you go, how's this going to help me? <laughs> how, is, how is church going to help me? How is a relationship with Jesus going to save my marriage? How, how is a relationship with Jesus going to get me out of my financial circumstance? How? Like, I'm in the doldrums right now. I'm in a place where the wind does not blow. There is no life. There's nothing going on. I feel completely stuck. I'm going to die. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, show of hands. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So what do you do when you're in the doldrums? Well, I think there's four stages that people usually resort to, and these are not the healthiest stages, but as human beings, this is usually what we gravitate towards. So stage number one, if you're a Christian, this is what you do. Stage number one, when you find yourself in the doldrums of life, you start faking it. You start faking it. You want people to think that you have it all together. So when you find yourself in a miserable state of life, what is the natural human response? Well, I don't want people to know the situation that I'm in, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to put on my happy skin today. <laughs> I'm just going to drink a ton of coffee, fill myself up with a ton of energy. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to make everybody believe that everything is okay in my life. And then finally when you get home, you're like, I don't need one glass of wine. I need two bottles of wine. <laughs> right? Because at, at the end of the day, it's, it's, you realize, man, I've been faking it all day. I'm not who I really say I am. I'm not happy with my life. The appearance that I'm giving off to everyone else is that my life is great and that my life is peaceful, but the truth is it's really not. So what do you do? When we find ourselves in the doldrums of life, the number one thing that we usually do is we start faking it. Even in Jeremiah, it says this, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. <laughs> What's he saying? So oftentimes, as, as Christians, what do we do? We walk in the church. How's it going? Man, it's great. Family's, family's good? Yeah, family's good. Life's good? Yeah, life's, job's great? Oh, job's awesome. 
So we say, yeah, I have peace, and then we walk away, and we don't have real peace. So once you start faking it, you usually move to stage two. Stage two is you start to put it off. Whatever the issue is, you just want to ignore it because you genuinely believe if you ignore it long enough, it'll just go away, right? I've told this story a hundred times before, but when I was in high school and I first got a debit card, I thought that meant you had just endless amounts of money. (laughs) And as long as I swiped it and didn't check the negative balance and I ignored the negative balance in my bank account, I was okay. But as soon as I saw that number, I was like, oh my God, (laughs) right? And we kind of take that approach to life sometimes. As long as I don't address the issue, as long as I just can ignore it long enough, then it'll go away. Oftentimes when we fall into this, you put it off, we fall into the biggest lie that the enemy tempts us with. And it's this. Time will heal things. Right? So once you start faking it, and then once you start putting it off, you genuinely believe, well, if I just ignore it long enough, the situation will ultimately go away. But here's the truth. Let me expose the lie for a moment. Time doesn't heal anything. Time often makes it worse, especially in relationships. Time makes it worse. In Hebrews, it even says this, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So what is the author of this passage saying? Hey, the longer you sit on something, the more it grows roots, and the more that bitterness grows, and the more that envy seeks in, and the more that jealousy begins to fester, the longer you put it off, the bigger situation it becomes. It's kind of like if you like to, if you take care of your yard, which I don't. <laughs> Corey does. <laughs> I hate mowing my grass. But if, you, if I did care about it, let's just hypothetically, if I cared about my grass. Um, if you would look at your grass and you look at a weed and you would pull it by the root, hopefully you don't get an entire yard of weeds, right? So you can usually solve the problem by pulling that one weed. But oftentimes what we do, we pass by that one weed and ah, it'll die eventually, so it'll die, right? And then we come out a few weeks later and your whole yard is covered in weeds. See, when we ignore issues, that's, it's the same thing. The longer that, oh, time will heal it, you know, we'll just, I'll just get over it. That person, they're offended now, but they won't be offended two weeks from now. The truth is they'll probably be more offended. And not only have you just lost a friend, they probably hate you now, <laughs> right? So time doesn't heal anything. The truth is the Holy Spirit is the only one that heals anything. A practicing relationship with Jesus, when you look at that and say, man, a wrong has been done and I need to do something about it right now. So when you're in the doldrums one, stage one, you start faking it. Stage two, you put it off. Stage three, you give up. Stage three, you give up. So imagine yourself in the doldrums. You've been paddling, you've been paddling. There's no wind, there's no activity. You go, listen, bro, it's been a week. We're starving, we haven't eaten, nothing is going on. We've been hand paddling for days. And there's still like 450 miles to go. Just quit, we're gonna die out here. So we give up. So what does this translate in our life? So we look at our marriages. Well, we've been arguing our whole life. Just give up. We've tried everything, we've gone to counseling, we've done this, we've done that, just, just quit. 
Or maybe we, we buy into the excuse, man, I've tried Jesus, I've tried Christianity, I've tried life groups, I've tried community, I tried opening up to somebody once and sharing my issues. Yeah, I tried that once and it didn't go so well for me, so I'm never doing that again, so I give up, right? So we get to this place where we feel like we're out of options. You ever look at a, a circumstance in your life and you just go, I don't see any way out, I don't see any single way out. So what do we do? We just sit down, we give up. Job actually did this when he was in his trial. You know Job, God allowed everything to be taken away from him, his livelihood, his family, everything murdered, everything killed. And Job says this in Job 17, 13. It's one of the most inspirational verses in the Bible. When there is my hope, that was sarcasm if you didn't catch that. He says, who can see any hope for me? Job's looking at his situation and he's basically saying, where's my hope at? Is there any hope for me? God, just kill me now. Ever been there in your life where you're just like, God, you know, if I could go visit you early, I would take it (laughs) right now. If I could just go right now, I I would much appreciate that. But have you ever noticed this when you find somebody in the doldrums and they're at the place where they give up and you're talking with them and you see all the solutions to get them out of that but they can't see it because they've gotten to the place where they've given up and you're looking at them and going no I'm telling you the solution is this way but because they've come to a place where they've given up they're blind and it works the other way around if you're in the situation right now where you've given up oftentimes you can't see the solutions this is why community and church is so important because oftentimes you can't see the solution, so it's why we run to our brothers and sisters in Christ, because oftentimes you just need to open your mouth and speak your problems, and usually because you're blind to them, they can just say, hey, here's what you need to do. And all of a sudden, your eyes are open. So stage one, you start faking it. Stage two, you put it off. Stage three, you give up. And then stage four, you die. Stage four, you die. What do you, what do, you do? So once you've given up, hey, I'm just, I'm done, right? I call it quits. And for some people, this is an actual physical death. You know, they say that people that commit suicide, the thoughts that go through their head is they they literally don't see any other way out. The pain is too great. The suffering is too great. The consequences of my actions are going to be way too great. I don't want to suffer those. I see no other way out. So for some, it's a physical death, but for many, it's not. Most people die mentally, they die morally, they die emotionally, or they die spiritually. So what does this mean? Maybe you've gotten to a place in your life where you're like, yeah, I know I've been married for 10 years, but you know what, I'm just exhausted. I don't cheat on my wife, it doesn't matter. I'm dead at this point, right? Emotionally, you're gone. Spiritually, you're gone. You feel numb. You ever reached a point in your life where you just, it, it's almost like nothing phases you anymore? Like you hear the truth and you're kind of like, yeah, I know that's what I need to do, but I just don't care. (laughs) I don't really care. So when you find yourselves in the doldrum, oftentimes you die a mental death, you die a moral death. You, you, maybe you held this code of honor at one point and this is, I'm going to be a man. I'm going to hold up to these standards. But when you reach that point, it's almost like you come to the point where you feel like the pressure of life and everything else is too great and I don't see other, any other way out, so the only option is for me to give up and die. Now, you can take courage in this. Some of the greatest men and women in the world felt this way. 
Did you know the disciples felt this way? In, in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 through 9, it says, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. So this is the disciples saying, the thought of living any longer was just too much for us to bear. And he said, indeed in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. So what's he saying? The thought of living any longer through this to endure any longer just it seems too unbearable. The thought of death seems glorious. Even Paul says that at one point. <laughs> he says, listen, you know, it would be to my benefit, my own personal benefit to die right now and just go be with Jesus so I can stop dealing with all you wacko people with just jacked up lives. <laughs> That's basically what he's saying. It would be, it'd be to my benefit to go and be with Jesus. But what is it? He says, but actually you need me here right now, so I'll stay. <laughs> That's basically what he says. He felt at a point of just despairing hopelessness. And here's the truth. When you find yourself in the doldrums, this is what you need. You need a breath of fresh air. You need somebody to come along, Jesus to come along and say, hey, you know what? There's a way out. I want to blow some wind in your sails. I want to get you out of that spot of life. And I believe that we get out of the doldrums, watch this, by simply practicing the essentials of the Christian faith. By learning to be with Jesus. By learning to become like Jesus. By learning to do what Jesus did. You know, I never read one time in the scriptures where Jesus is like, there was nothing for me to do, I'm just bored. <laughs> He always had something on his mind. There was always purpose. There was always vision in his life. And here's what I want you to do. Over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about different essentials of the Christian life. And one of the biggest things in America that we hate to do is we hate to make commitments. It's, it's why we have so many people that don't get married. They just cohabitate, right? I don't, I don't want to commit to anything. And it's gotten like that. That's, that whole mentality has even creeped into the church. They say now that the average Christian attends a church once a month. So I want you to make a commitment. Go beyond the norm. Go beyond the standard to be here for the next four weeks. If you are in a place in your life right now where you say, I feel like I'm in the doldrums. Nothing is working. It's dry. I feel like there's no life. Can you make a commitment to say, God, I want to practice the essentials of the faith. I want to learn what it's like to be a genuine Christian. Because living out the Christian faith is so much more than just like retweeting or re-Facebooking some corny Christian quote to get you through the day or reading a Bible verse, or praying for two minutes in the morning. It's so much more than that. That God actually has a joy and a peace that goes way beyond what you've ever experienced before. And oftentimes that comes through practicing the essentials of the faith. I said this in the beginning, but I think for far too long, I've heard people blame their grim circumstances on, oh, it's just another season oh, it's just another spot of life, or we say, oh, the devil's really attacking me in this season right now. And the truth is you have a choice to leave that season today. You can make that choice. The reason you stay stuck in the doldrums right now is because you choose to. It's not because Jesus is keeping you there. Because a life 
after Jesus' cause and mission is a life of adventure. It's a life of joy. It's a life of peace. I'm not saying that it's not going to be difficult. It will be. But difficult will be defined so much more differently when you're living out the essentials of the Christian faith. See, when you go through difficulties and your life is aligned with Jesus, you look at it and say, you know what, yes, this is hard, and yes, this, is, this sucks right now, and this is difficult, but you know what, I understand one thing, that God's still with me. When you do that without God and you deal with difficult seasons, you feel like God has abandoned you and left you and you feel hopeless. When you're living out the essentials of the Christian faith and you go through difficult seasons, you know that God's right there with you and you're going to make it through somehow. The storms may be rough, but you know that God is with you. The reason that you stay stuck is because you're not practicing. You're not practicing. Think of it like this. My wife, who's run a half marathon, she trained for months before she ran this marathon. Now, think about it. If she would have just showed up, have you ever run a day in your life before? No, not, not at all. But I'm here. I've got the correct shoes on. <laughs> I've got some new Nikes, baby. They pump air, so I'll be able to run a little faster. <laughs> I, got, I, got the, I got the shirt. I got the, I got the right clothes. You know, I got the Under Armour shirt. I'm not going to sweat. I'm not going to be hot. I've even got a little fan. Spritzes water. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, what happens? Now you got to run 13.2 miles. You got the Nikes on. You got the shirt on. You got the shorts on, and you got the little spritzer. You're going to get about two miles down, and you'll be drinking that spritzer. <laughs> oh, Jesus. But here's the truth. That's how most Christians look. Well, I'm reading the scriptures. I'm going to church, God. I'm doing these things. The truth is we're not practicing on a daily basis what it looks like to be with Jesus and we show up to the race and we're completely unprepared. And so we run the race of life and what does it does? It just mows us down. Because when you run 13.2 miles, you better make sure that you've been running a whole lot before that, right? They tell you if you, if you need to run a half marathon, you need to be able to run at least 10 miles, so you shouldn't even sign up for the race until you can run 10 miles. Until you got 10 miles down, then you can probably go 13.2. And here's the thing. The reason that many of us find ourselves stuck today in the Christian faith is because we're showing up to the race and we're just completely unprepared. We got the Christian t-shirt. Got the cuff and mug from Mardell's. It says, Jesus loves me and everything's going to be fine. And then your checkbook goes to negative and you go, what is this little coffee mug going to do for me? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing, right? By that point, you're not pouring coffee in it, it's whiskey. <laughs> so I've called, I've decided to call this message practice choosing. Practice choosing. You know today, Christian, you have a choice to make whether you want to stay stuck in the life that you're in right now or if you want to live the most adventurous life that you've ever lived. If you start practicing the essentials of the faith, it simply comes down to a choice. Am I going to train? Am I going to practice? Am I going to put the work in? Am I going to put the effort in? And here's what that means. That means a few things. Number one, you're going to have to get very, very vulnerable with where you're at. 
to some people that you probably don't want to say some things to. Number two, it also means once you get vulnerable, you also set yourself up to get extremely offended. And I'll, I'll tell you this, at this church, we will love you and we will help you through your journey, but one thing that I cannot spare you from is we will offend you. And it'll never be intentionally. But oftentimes, what the enemy does is when, when, when God allows himself to start working on sin, what is, the enemy tries to throw up all these things to block you from getting through that issue. It's often the sin of offense. Or it's, man, I went there, but they got into my life, and I didn't like that. It didn't feel good. And oftentimes it doesn't. That's usually the path that we need to take to get to that healing, to get to that freedom. And here's the thing. My goal in this whole series is that you can move from just appearing that you have it all together on the outside to actually having it together on the inside. So that when you walk into the room, man, the joy that you radiate, it's not fake. <laughs> it's, I mean, it comes from inside. It's genuine. It's real. The peace that you possess when you're around other people, you're not faking it. It's a genuine peace that you say, man, God has transformed my heart. He's done something in me. The only way that I can describe this is, is and, and it's maybe because my wife and I, we use a lot of kid examples because we have a lot of kids. But the only way that I can describe this is, have you ever noticed parents, and if you have younger kids, you'll, you'll definitely understand this as they get a little bit older. But have you ever, find, have you ever found yourself as a parent, almost uh, Jim Gaffigan says it's like a hostage situation in reverse. <laughs> Basically, when the kid is in the bedroom, you're like, I will give you anything if you just stay in there. You know, we're, we're driving in the van yesterday from like Charles and uh, you find yourself in these like situations where you're like, gum, you want a gum? You, you want candy? Okay, just shut up. I will give you a gum. I will give you candy. I will give you whatever you want if you just be quiet, right? And you get to this point where maybe when you show up in a crowd and you want your kids to be on their best behavior and usually they're not, the kids don't care about first impressions, Right? You're like, okay, you're around new friends for the first time. And you're like, you, you warn all of them, okay, listen, no farting, no burping, no pinching, no hitting. And then the first thing that they do when they walk in the room is what? They go crazy, right? And then you're totally embarrassed. And then you take them aside and you're like, hey, yeah, hold on one second. I'll kill you. If, uh, yeah, okay, hi. <laughs> and you go into this, hey, son, remember that spanking that we had uh, last week? It's going to be way worse. Um, yes, you were saying, Jim, <laughs> and you go back to like your normal conversation, right? You find yourself bribing, and, he and here's the truth as a parent. You can get your kids to a point where they'll be deathly afraid of you, and they won't make any mistakes. And they'll obey you because, the, man, they fear you. Or, hopefully as a parent, you're not into just modifying behavior and so you can appear like you have good kids, but when they're 18, they do the right thing, not because they have to, but because they want to, right? Ultimately, as a parent, we're not after behavior modification, we're after, we're after heart transformation. Like, I want my eight-year-old to do the right thing, not because dad says that I'm gonna whoop your tail, but ultimately because he looks at it and says, hey, this is the wrong thing to do, now I wanna do the right thing, because if I do the wrong thing, this breaks God's heart. I want him to get to understand that, right? But in the Christian life, it's the same way. This is where God wants to move us to today. He doesn't want you to just walk out of here and say, okay, I need, to, I need to modify a few things. I need to modify a few behaviors. I need to stop smoking cigarettes. I need to stop doing this. I need to stop doing that. That's not what God's after. God's saying, hey, listen, I'm after your heart. Those deep insecurities that you have, those fears that you have, those things that you're holding after, 
That's the things that I want to change. Because if I can begin to change those things, the things on the outside will begin to handle themselves. They'll change on their own. In fact, the very first story in the Bible revolved around a choice. In Genesis 2.9, it says this, In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then in Genesis 2.16, if we skip down, And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for if you eat of it, you will surely die. So what does God do? He gives them a choice in the very beginning. If you eat this, you're going to be enslaved to sin. If you obey my commands, what's going to happen? You're going to be free. And many of you are dying and your attempt to get out is not working because you're still using the same thing that got you there in the first place. You ever find yourself like stuck in the same situation that you were a year ago and you're still using the same solutions to try to get out and they're not working, but yet somehow you've convinced yourself that it's going to work and it's not working? In Deuteronomy 30, 19, it says, The day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. And now what does he say? Now choose life. So in the very beginning of time, we were faced with a choice. What do we want? And we stand with that choice today. You want life, or do you want death? You want to choose life, do you want to choose death? And oftentimes, the way that we choose life is we choose to practice the essentials of the Christian faith. So I want to show you three different expressions of it. Number one, we can fall into, you hear a message like this, and you say, okay, I need to walk out of these doors, and I need to do more for Jesus right? I just, I just need to get busy working. I need to do more. You think your problem is that you need to do more. You need to read more. You need to pray more. You need to serve more. You need to give more. Or you can receive what has already been done. <laughs> so you can do more and you can try to earn God's approval and you can try to earn God's favor or you can sit back and rest in the fact that everything that you're trying to do, God's already accomplished for you. Jesus accomplished everything that you couldn't accomplish on the cross. He forgave past, present, and future sins. And that's that's what's so compelling to me about the gospel. The sins that I haven't even committed yet, because I am covered in the blood of Jesus, he's already forgiven me of them. And I can walk in that freedom. Now the truth is there's always a pull to that first choice, isn't there? There's, a, a, there's always a pull to say, man, I just need to do more. I need to be better. I need to ramp up this. I need to do that. There's always a pull to do that. In John 5, they dealt with it back in the New Testament. It says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by, that by them possess, you think by them you possess eternal life. There are the scriptures that testify about me, yet, watch this, you refuse to come to me to have life. So we'll talk about more about this next week, but one of the essentials of being a Christian is learning to be with Jesus. It's just learning to be with Jesus. Jesus is not wanting you to do a whole lot more. He's just wanting you to learn to be with him. That's exactly what the scripture is saying. It's not about how much scripture you study, how much you read, how much you pray, how much you do. Jesus is saying, look, just come spend time with me. That's all I want. You know, when when I got back from, from Africa... You know, it's, my kids are so excited that I'm back. And there's one 
thing on their mind. When are you going to set aside time to come, to come swim in the pool with us? Come play with us. Come be with us. It's all they care about, and that is what Jesus is saying to some of us today. We live in a culture that is go, 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 so busy, and even if we're not that busy, we find ourselves so busy on our phones. We live in this culture, and Jesus is just saying, man, just take time out of your day, every single day, to just be with me. Let's just talk. Let's have a conversation. Let's pray. Would you just set time aside to simply be with Jesus? Number two, you can try to get God's approval. So we think that by reading the scriptures, by praying more, that God approves of us more when we're doing better, right? You ever felt that way? Man, this week I haven't missed a single day of reading. This week I haven't, I, man, I haven't had any major sins. This week is awesome. God is pleased with me. And then you have one week and you blow it. And all of a sudden you feel like the week that you had before that, you just completely erased it by your one sin. <laughs> and you've got to completely go all the way back over again. Oh, I've got to win God back over again because he's mad at me right now. Right? I used, to, I used to struggle with that very early on in my faith. I thought that God was kind of like a Wizard of Oz type of God. He'll help me, but he doesn't really want to. <laughs> He'll help me, but he's like, oh, Zach, are you serious? Look, okay, I'll help you, but you did it again. But then you read verses in, in Zephaniah where it says the Lord sings and he delights over his creation. And he doesn't put any conditions on it. He doesn't say that he sings and delights over his creation as long as they do something. He just delights in his creation. So there is this pool, man, I've got to try to get God's approval, or you can simply just receive God's love for you. Because the truth is, he knows what you did last week, and he still likes you. <laughs> he knows what you did last week, and he still likes you. Some of you just need to let that rest in your heart for a moment. God knows what you did last week, and he still likes you. Because some of us fall into the trap, God knows what I did last week, and now he hates me. Right? And that's hard for us to frame up sometimes because we live in a culture, man, if you wrong somebody, what? Well, you've got to earn your way back to forgiveness. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got you to build trust again. You've got to do all these things. God maybe doesn't like what you did. He doesn't like what you did. He does, I'm not saying that he likes your sin. But he knows what you did last week, and he still likes you. <laughs> you as a person. You know what, I'm, I'm just absolutely convinced that sometimes we forget how personable God actually is. We treat him like he's this big ogre in the sky and he's not personable. I like to imagine God who's like a home and he has your picture on his refrigerator. He knows who you are. <laughs> you can come into his house, take whatever you want out of the fridge. Like he wants to be that personable with you. He wants to have that kind of relationship with you. Romans 5.28 says, But God demonstrates his own love for it, us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So his love for us is not conditional on how good we are, because ultimately he went to the cross when we were so wretched and bad. Before salvation ever creeped into your heart, before you ever had an opportunity to know who Jesus was, that he died for you. The third thing. Now we can obey out of duty because God says you need to. 
growing up, <laughs> I thought the more painful the church service was, the more points I got with God. <laughs> right? I thought this is why you had to kneel and pray like, God, if I have to kneel and stand up one more time, I'm telling you, I'm working out for you right now. <laughs> right? I thought the more painful, the longer the church service was, and the longer that I could sit through it and just get through it like God, I sat through this boring teaching for two and a half hours. Right? I thought the longer that I was there, the more points that I got. But the truth is, at a young age, I didn't like church, and the truth is I really didn't like Christians. Because they're singing, they got the joy in their heart, but they look like the devil. <laughs> you know what the saddest thing is? My dad, a few years ago, we were eating at a restaurant right after church. And, you know, on Sundays, restaurants are usually packed. And my dad kneeled over to a waitress, and he said, man, I bet you love Sundays. He said, all the, the church crowd comes in, and you get good tips, and she goes, actually, it's the worst day of the week. He's like, what do you mean? He said, and she said, none of the church people tip me. Zero. And she said, they're some of the most ruthless people that I come across. She said, I hate Sundays. And you're just like, wow, are you serious? But you know what the truth is? I've met people who claim that they have this joy in their heart and they claim to love Jesus and they say that they're Christians and they're the meanest people on the earth. And so the truth is, I think people become like that because they are obeying out of duty. I obey because I have to and I don't want to go to hell. The truth is, if they're really honest with themselves, the reason they're so angry is because they want to sin and they can't. <laughs> I just, I want to go get plastered like everybody else and I can't. And I'm just going to hold it in. And they obey out of this duty. Well, just because I got to be a good Christian, because I just got to be a good person and life is just not fun. And so they obey out of this duty. But honestly, the Bible is hard. And you can't live out every commandment in it. I heard a preacher a long time ago say, you know the reason that God gave you the Ten Commandments? He said, because all of them in there, if you look at them, you can look at, okay, don't commit adultery. Okay, I can maybe do that one. Or don't murder somebody. Okay, I can do that one. But then, he, but then, then Jesus comes in in the New Testament and not, he adds to them. Not only does he say, hey, don't commit murder or don't commit adultery he says if you look at a woman lustfully you've committed adultery are you kidding me that's impossible right god do you know the kind of culture we live in and the billboards that we pass and the flyers that we see and what's on t that's impossible i remember hearing a preacher say you know what the reason that jesus came in in the new testament he adds to these is he says he wants us to understand that you can't do it on your own and you need him to succeed there's no way that you could follow all the commands just simply obeying out of duty God wants to bring us to the point where you can't do it on your own unless you're obeying out of delight. You have fallen so in love with Jesus, it's something that you want to. Do you remember when you were first dating your spouse? How easy it was to love them? This person is amazing. They never sin. He's never talked to me bad. He's never treated me. When you're dating, I remember Claire and I, we're on our best behavior, right? We both think we're like the greatest thing since sliced bread. And this is the greatest thing ever. 
But when in that moment, you're so captured by that person that, man, you just do it because you want to please that person as much as you possibly can. And that's where God wants to get us in our relationship with Jesus. John 14, 15 says it this way. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Now, in this verse, there's two things that happen. You can look at this verse two different ways. You can look at it as, well, if I love God, then I just have to do what he says. If I love God, I just got to obey his commands. Or you can look at it and say, if I love God, I get to obey his commands. Because God knows some things that I don't, and if I follow his commands, that ultimately God has my good in mind, and he only keeps things from me because he knows that they will harm me. He's not keeping them from me because he's trying to suck fun out of my life or he's trying to make my life miserable. Ultimately, at the end of the day, if I love Jesus, I want to obey because I delight in him. So I believe this as I bring this to a close. The Lord is asking us today, do you love me? Do you love me? And ultimately, I think he wants to come down to a simple choice. Because if we're ever going to practice the essentials of the faith, before we can ever talk about those things, we have to come down to one simple choice. Am I here today because I just want to be spared of hell? Or am I here today because I love Jesus and I just want to love him with everything that I have and I want to follow him because I delight in him? Because until you can get to that place of delight, you'll never practice the essentials of the Christian faith. You'll never get to the point where Christianity is something fun and adventurous. It'll always be a duty to you. It'll always be something that you have to do, and you'll never find any joy in it. So it's a choice today. A choice to say, maybe I've got to embrace some painful moments so that I can get to joy. Maybe it's a choice today. Maybe I need to open up to some people. Maybe I need to confess some things. Maybe I need to get in a life group. Whatever it may be. But today I believe this, that most of you need to walk out of these doors today making a choice. Am I going to continue to obey out of duty or do I want to choose to obey out of delight? In Matthew, there's a very scary verse In verse 7, it says this, or chapter 7, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, watch this, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then watch this, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. So, man, we could, dude, we could plant orphanages, we could plant churches. We could do all kinds of things. But if we never knew God, we still missed it. And so what is he saying in the scripture? God, well, I lived a good life. I did moral things. I was a good person. Can, can I tell you something? There's no such thing as good people. There's bad people and then there's repentant people. <laughs> We're all bad people. Did you have to teach your two-year-old to bite your, 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 your one-year-old? No. There's no such thing as good moral people. Inside all of us is this sensationable desire to do wrong. We're all wicked left to ourselves. 
There's bad people and then there's repentant people. And listen, God doesn't want you to just do a bunch of good moral things. At the end of the day, he wants you to know him. I want you to have a relationship with me. And Matthew, he's saying, hey, look, these people, they did all the external things. They, they, they lived in the doldrums their entire life. They faked it. They made everybody else believe. And some of us, let's be honest, we're really good at it. You've got your husband fooled. You've got your wife fooled. You've got your family members fooled. They all think you are good. But right now, it's not me talking to you. It's the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart right now. And you know who you are. You're like, man. I want to experience that freedom. I want to experience that peace that you're talking about. I don't want to be that person that just says, yeah, I have peace, but I really don't. If I were to give you the first essential of practicing the Christian faith, it would be this. Fall in love with Jesus every single day. Because listen, you're not going to practice reading the scriptures. You're not going to practice prayer. You're not going to practice fasting. You're not going to practice community unless you fall in love with Jesus. You just won't. I know this probably wasn't what you guys were expecting, but we have to hit on this first before we can talk about the essentials of what it means to be a Christian. Because you can't practice the essentials of the faith if you don't love the God that we're serving. I shared this in our leadership meeting a few weeks ago, but there is this verse in Revelations where John is telling the church in Ephesus, he's saying, hey, listen, I'm proud of everything that you've accomplished. And you've healed the sick, you've seen the blind, have sight, but he says, this one thing I have against you, this one thing I have against you, he says, you've forgotten your first love doing all these good things, you're serving all these people, the poor are coming to eat and all that. That's great. I love you for it. But you've forgotten the reason that you're doing it all. You've forgotten to fall in love with Jesus. And he says, if you can't fall back in love with Jesus, he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to remove your lampstand. In the New Testament church, a lampstand was literally something that stood in the center of a church. And if they were to remove that, it says that the, it simply meant this, that the spirit and presence of God is no longer with this church. Get out. He says, if you don't fall back in love with Jesus, you can do all the good moral things. You can do all the good things to be a good person. But if you don't love Jesus, you've missed it. 